and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. Today I'm going to tell you a story. story about how I left my heart in San Francisco. It's a true story. My narcissist hijacked my identity, my dignity, and my dreams, and this is how it happened. Here we go. The first time I ever danced with my husband was at his mother's wedding. I think it was husband number six out of eight for her. That in itself should have been a red flag, but I could only see him and feel this magnetic pull of gravity that lingered between us. Little did I know that the gravitational pull was the same as that of the Death Star. In all of the Star Wars movies, you know, the the uh, large space station command center for the forces of evil and destruction, the dark side. It locks on its targets and pulls them in a tractor beam kind of thing to their death. Yeah, well, that's, and then I heard it. The song that I knew would be our song. I took his hand, and we entered the dance floor. All eyes were on us, whispers circulating about our age gap and the talking about the tight linen halter top that I wore with the plunging back. Tony Bennett's voice was like butter as the heat increased, and the world melted away. I remember the feel of his broad palm in my hand as I pressed against him and lost myself completely. I closed my eyes with my head on his shoulder as if walking on water, dancing on air. I left my heart in San Francisco, transported us to some other place, and by the time the song was over, it was too late. Neither one of us knew what was happening. Um, We just knew that it was inevitable, and it had to happen. It took 16 more years to discover the truth. He was a covert, somatic, mid-range narcissist. For the majority of my adult life, the romance of the West Coast spoke to me and called my name. Year after year, I traveled to California with my children in tow. We went to the beaches, to Disneyland, and as the years passed, we pursued golf and cruises to Catalina and other activities. There was a kind of magic that happened every summer when we went there, you know, standing beside my children on the pier as they relished their tiny ice cream cones from Ruby's, you know, Ruby's on the pier in Huntington Beach. I promised that when they got older, we would move there. I created stories for my daughter about how we were both mermaids And we would sit on the beach someday with our sparkly painted toes in the sand, drinking probiotic shakes 
and eating sushi or something, soaking up the rays as the surf crashed in the distance. We would flick our glittery mermaid tails and we would watch the sun melt into the infinite indigo horizon. It was a dream. It was a promise. California was always waiting for us, calling for us. It represented freedom from the things that bound us to our lives of obligation and responsibility back in Texas. And it symbolized a place of new beginnings and joy and serendipity. As a single mother, for years, sometimes I had to work two or three jobs just to save enough money to get to California every summer. But it was a ritual. It was the place we recharged our batteries. It was our happy place that we looked forward to all year long. One of the most iconic memories I have of my children growing up was a trip to San Francisco when my son was in high school and my daughter was in middle school. We spent the day riding trolley cars and going to Fisherman's Wharf and Pier 39. We enjoyed time exploring Chinatown and wandering around different neighborhoods. We were staying with friends in the area and we all piled into the car rolled the windows down, and turned up Smashing Pumpkins, a soundtrack for life in the Bay Area. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. I think that was the name of that album. But the magic moment, the frozen moment that remains um, like a cherished snapshot in my mind forever, was the memory of driving back to our friend's house and everyone singing Mr. Jones by the Counting Crows. You know, Adam Duritz's plaintive voice was so evocative. It invited us to sing along. We couldn't resist. Um, Everything at that moment was perfect. Everything was right with the world. We were together happy, joyous, free. The cool San Francisco air blew across our faces and through our hair as our voices floated out of the windows and into the night air. My husband and I traveled there several times through the years that followed, and I led him to all of the magical places and we discovered some new places of our own and created our own magic moments, although none of them paralleled the ones that I had had with my children from the few years before. But we seemed happy, and as happy as any married couple can ever be, I think. There was a comfortable synchronicity between us. Everything seemed as it should be when he was beside me. I never got tired of holding his wonderful hand. Now that he's gone, it's a feeling I can always summon in my mind. I actually recreate it with painful detail. We talked about my infatuation with California and how we should live there one day, find a place by the water 
walk to the pier, and become beach bums. You see, I was a writer, and he was an artist. Both of us were teachers, two creatives churning out magnificent content while living the dream. It was a delicious future that was within our grasp. You know, it was just waiting for us to seize it and to make it a reality. It was it was really possible. It wasn't just some wild, far-fetched dream. We could actually make it happen soon. Time passed, and the devaluation begins. And those of you who know about the cycles of narcissistic abuse, you know that's the second stage after the infatuation and idealization wears off. The devaluation begins where he starts being critical, picking at little loose threads and pulling and tugging on them to unravel them a little bit. And then after that, things ended the way they always end with a narcissist, with the discard. Within a few months after he suddenly abandoned me, he went to San Francisco with some girl he had just met and probably took her to all of our places. They most likely did all the things that he promised to do with me. He gave our future away to some temporary hookup and source of fresh fuel for his massive ego that requires so much adoration and affection and attention. A few months later after that, he left all of his life behind here in Austin, and he moved to Beverly Hills to reinvent himself where no one knew him and no one knew what he was or what he did. After about six months in L.A., he made his way to San Francisco. Yeah, it's funny how I always thought we would be there together in the end. It had always been my dream destination, not his. And it's funny how he ended up going without me stealing my dream, living the life I had worked so hard to achieve. My daughter, a refugee from the trauma that he brought down upon us all, she met the man of her dreams in San Francisco a couple of years before he left. Um, she, like her mother before her, was intoxicated by the splendor of the city, and with a partner who no doubt knew how to hold her hand. Soon they fled the country, and with 5,000 miles between us now, she's managed to escape across the ocean to build a life with peace and healing. You know, it was San Francisco, that magical, foggy, cool place that provided the opportunity and just enough fairy dust to give her wings. It's been 15 months now since the life that I knew and loved was pulled out from beneath my feet. I haven't managed to quite get up off the ground yet, although I have summoned 
the strength to begin to at least imagine a life without him, a life without anybody. So many older, discarded wives from my support groups proclaim their joy with the freedom they have obtained, and they swear they don't need a man. They vow to live out the last years of their lives in solitude with only memories to keep them company. But somewhere between the ambient that they pop like Pez and the desperate prayers and the guided meditational programs, I think they are perpetually lonely, and I'm pretty sure they dream about the warmth of their husbands who cast them aside so quickly and easily and recklessly, heartlessly, cruelly. We all reach for them in the night, only to grasp at thin air. I don't sleep. I don't think they do either. Not natural, not real, not peaceful, not restorative sleep. You know, we can still smell them and hear their voices and feel their touch so real, like it's just, like it's happening, like they're right there, can feel it, they're in our DNA, our muscle memory. I heard somewhere, I read that it takes seven years for someone to get out of your cellular uh, structure, your actual internal body holds them for seven years. It's been only 15 months. I can still feel him with me. Covenants like these should not be broken. Covenants between a man and a woman who have made a promise, a vow. They swore that they would always be there. Those kinds of covenants should not be broken. They were our husbands and companions and forever partners until they each decided we were aging too ungracefully and slowing them down or that we were no longer of value having fulfilled our duty and function all of those years. I met someone recently who confessed that he was still madly in love with a woman that he had spent the past 26 years with. He said he couldn't stop thinking about her, although it's been over two years since they've lived together. Strangely enough, those 26 years were spent in, guess where? San Francisco. I confessed that I too was still in love with my ex and that both of us needed to try to figure out how to let them go. How to let them go. It's uncanny how both of us have exes who live in San Francisco, right? How coincidental is that? Perhaps we should take a road trip and go visit them. I started building a California playlist 20 or 30 years ago. Joni Mitchell, Led Zeppelin, The Eagles, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and countless others, all singing about the wonders of the Golden State. 
every year when we would travel there, I would put on that playlist. And through the years, you know, certain songs were connected to certain places and things. Um, it became the soundtrack of our summers. Ventura Highway, as we were cruising down PCH1. Under the Bridge, as we drive through the streets of L.A. San Franciscan Nights, you know, by Eric Burton and the Animals. We listened to that as we traversed the hills of the city by the bay. So many years and so many memories. I should be there now. I should be there now. Not him. I can't blame him completely for what he did to me, for what he took from me, for what he did to my family that can never be repaired. I am responsible too because I stayed. I'm guilty because I stayed. I stayed when I knew I should leave. I stayed when his transgressions were too horrible to forgive. I stayed when all the red flags were waving in all of their crimson glory. I stayed even after our therapist said that he probably had a personality disorder and to plan an exit strategy, I couldn't leave. I stayed long after any normal person would have stayed. And that's because of my dependency issues, my attachment problems, my childhood wounding, and all the trauma bonding that that happened because of 15 years of 16 years of intermittent reinforcement. It was bigger than me, more powerful than me. Emotional abuse may not leave visible injuries, but it is lethal nonetheless. Deadly. I think maybe I should load up my car. See if my broken-hearted friend would care to accompany me, pack up the cat, and head west. Many of the things I lost because I loved a man with a personality disorder, addictions, and more than likely other undiagnosed conditions, too. You know, I lost things because of him that I can never replace. They're gone forever, beyond repair. Relationships lost, jobs lost, cities lost and left behind, homes lost, so much lost and destroyed because of him, because I couldn't leave, because I stayed. And even though he's stolen my dream now by going there to live out my fantasy with his new people instead of me, That doesn't mean I can't still chase my joy. He just left me to die. I can't, I can't accept that. California may be burning. It is on fire and enveloped by smoke, but it doesn't matter. There have always been earthquakes, Santa Ana winds, Diablo winds, mudslides, 
countless other reasons to give up on it. It's expensive, crowded, traffic jammed, and sinking into the sea. But I don't care. He took too many things from me that I can never get back. So maybe this is one thing that he doesn't get to keep. I have a history with this place, with this California, with this San Francisco. We have a relationship. She has been a constant presence in my life for decades, for as long as I can remember. Maybe it's time to go there and be with her. Even though she's not perfect, neither am I. Maybe I did leave my heart in San Francisco, and maybe it's time I go and reclaim it. The loveliness of Paris Seems somehow sadly gay The glory that was Rome Is of another day I've been terribly alone And forgotten in Manhattan I'm going home To my city by the bay I left my heart in San Francisco. High on a hill, it calls to me. To be where little cable cars Climb halfway to the stars The morning fog Made the air I don't care, my love waits there In San Francisco Above the blue And windy sea when I come home to you, San Francisco, your golden sun will shine for me.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you. 